Good morning, Stacy. I'm okay. How are you? I just got a notification on my phone that Real Life Community Church is streaming something real, so I'm all right. <laughs> That's a good sign. I suppose we should welcome everybody else as well. Hello, everybody. And uh, we're able to get back onto Facebook again today. So we've got Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Check us out any way you choose. Any way you want it, that's the way you need it. You can get all podcast platforms as well. <laughs> we are, uh, as you can probably tell, uh, still practicing social distancing. Um, we are. That is the, uh, that's the norm for now, so it seems. So we will uh, continue to be safe and try to stay healthy while still connecting with each other and, and all of you. So that's why we're here. Yeah, it's, you know, I, I think I can hear a little bit of a crackle on the line. So you know, we may have some audio issues. I apologize for that. But we do the best we can to stay connected uh, as a family whenever we're able to. I think everybody has had to uh, kind of adapt to some changes. So we're, we're adapting to this as well. So uh, thank you for bearing with us. <laughs> All right. So how are things on Michigan Street and Three Oaks for you? Well, you're on Michigan Street too, aren't you? <laughs> I am indeed in a different place. Further down the road. Um, good. I'm, I'm doing laundry actually at the moment. What? Go ahead. We're more than six feet apart. That's true. That's true. I am doing laundry at the moment because everybody that I've been seeing has said, uh, you know, that they've taken this time to their house is so clean and da da da. da. And I'm like, mine is the opposite. My house is in total shambles. <laughs> so I'm trying to be somewhat productive, which is difficult so when you have a two-year-old. Laundry and gospel casting at the same time. You know. It's what I do when I listen to podcasts, so I figure, why not? Makes sense. So, we are, uh, in, in the interest of uh, staying on track here and, and making things as normal as possible, uh, we're going to talk about the message that uh, we, we went over this Sunday, last Sunday. Yeah, we're focusing again on the Holy Spirit of the Church, and uh, this has uh, sort of become part three of this. Uh, of this particular subset within our our Impact World series, so uh, we focused in this week on the core reality that the Holy Spirit carries out God's purposes in and through His church. And so, having seen previously that the church is united by the reality of Christ and committed to reflecting Him together, and that the, the demonstration uh, the demonstration of that shows up throughout the Book of Acts, uh, but we look specifically at the end of Acts chapter 2 and the end of Acts chapter 4. And uh, as the Holy Spirit had uh, given birth to the church, he continued to, to give life to the church and to bind us together in that reality and, and commit us to one another as, uh, as a kingdom team, really, to, to take forth what, what uh, God had planned. And so uh, we saw after that that the Holy Spirit enables the church to reflect the reality of Christ. We're only able to rightly reflect the reality of Christ because of the Holy Spirit in us, giving us life, uh, bringing about a true resurrection in who we are. Apart from the regeneration of the Holy Spirit, the, the, uh, the new birth and the new identity that he gives us, we're not able to reflect the, 
the reality of Christ. We might be able to do good things. We might be able to be very religious or very pious in any number of ways, but it's all in the flesh. And so as we uh, as we do these things in the flesh, we're not reflecting the reality of who Christ is. Uh, and we see that imbalance throughout um, false churches, apostate churches, mm-hmm. uh, churches with histories and legacies who have abandoned uh, the Word of God or the authority of the Word of God, and not um, not listening to what the Spirit is saying. So they're uh, as they're going through deciding we're going to take out these parts of the Scripture, or we're going to do uh, what seems best to us, we're going to focus on social justice and, and so on and so forth. Uh, we are clenching doing that the work of the Holy Spirit in us, and so. Uh, as we see the Holy Spirit take hold of us, make us uh, make us new, make us children of God, and build us into the church, uh, He is also uh, through that developing us and growing us. And that was uh, one of the other realities that we had seen recently. Last week, I believe it was. It should be because we're following right in order here. Uh, that that He not only makes us the church, enables us to reflect the reality of Christ by by taking hold of hold of us and adding us to Christ's church in salvation, the Holy Spirit also causes believers to mature into an increasingly accurate reflection of Christ. So this issue of Christian maturity uh, is a pretty big deal because it's not our effort. There is effort involved like anything else. Um, A child who is growing only grows well when they're exercising and and when they are uh, well nourished. Uh, But they're not causing the growth. They are doing what is uh, required to foster that growth. But the Holy Spirit in us, having caused a new birth in us, also causes our growth. And so uh, we, we saw that the maturity of the believer uh, comes from the Holy Spirit as well. It changes our identity. He develops our maturity. And then this week, uh, we focused in on the reality that he creates our community and in creating our community, the Holy Spirit carries out God's purposes in and through his church. He brings the presence of God to earth through us, through believers, through those who are in Christ. So we see that manifest uh, presence of God in the church. So there are four ways that we looked at that he creates our community. Uh, and this is a major passion of Jesus Christ. In, in John 17, just before he goes to the cross, in his, in his last uh, recorded prayer here, uh, as we, we see what, what many people would call his high priestly prayer, Jesus prays for the disciples, not only those there, but for us who would come after. And he prays, um, he prays that, uh, I'm going to see if I can turn off notifications on the computer here without wrecking <laughs> things. <laughs> Hopefully I didn't uh, just mess everything up. Anyhow, as as we um, as we see Jesus praying in this last passionate moment before his arrest, he prays for the unity of the church that we would be one, as he and the Father are one. And so, uh, as promised, he sends the Holy Spirit to make us one, to create a community, so that we can be the hands and feet of Christ on the earth. When, when Paul refers to us as the body of Christ. That's what he means, that, that we are the physical representation, if you will, of Jesus, who has now, having been with us uh, 
God in the flesh has ascended to to the Father and is in heaven now waiting to return. In the meantime, he has given the Holy Spirit as he promised to uh, to bring us in to, into the family to put himself in us to so whereas the physical presence of Jesus was in one place at one time, the uh, real presence of the Holy Spirit in his church is everywhere at all times. So he he doesn't leave because he's spirit. He's not restrained by the physical. So as the Holy Spirit dwells in us, the four things that we looked at are that he builds our unity, he equips our work, he affirms our gospel, and he animates or gives life to our worship. So as we focus on uh, what the Holy Spirit um, did, did in us by changing our identity and initiating our repentance, fostering our adoption, guaranteeing our completion, and emboldening our, uh, emboldening our witness. He makes us his. He gives us a new birth. He comes in, changes our hearts, gives us a heart of flesh rather than a heart of stone, gives us new desires and affections so that we want the things of God. That's why we come to Christ, because the Holy Spirit has changed our heart and our will. And in doing that, uh, he gives us this new birth, transfers us from the dominion of darkness to the kingdom of the beloved son. Then, then in us, he develops maturity. So the witness comes out of just simply being who we are. Having, having encountered Christ, uh, that change in us is an excitement that, that it can't help but pouring out of us. Once we know, once we've discovered life amidst death, how can we shut up about it? We can't, we, you know, we see that throughout the scripture. Every time somebody has an encounter with God, you know, go back to one of my favorite passages in Isaiah 6. Having had his sins forgiven, having been cleansed of his sin uh, by the coal from the altar, God doing this forgiving, uh, Isaiah goes from on his face before God, considering himself as if he were dead because of his sin before a holy God. He immediately jumps up and is like, let me go tell him. Let me be the messenger. Please let me go say it. Right. The excitement that comes out of knowing Christ. And, and it's, I mean, it's a natural thing that we see. Uh, my daughter-in-law is about to have a baby like any minute. And um, so that, that birth of a child naturally uh, overflows into telling everybody about it. We get we get fired up. We send a birth announcement. We have uh, showers and parties, and everybody's talking about, it. oh, let me see that cute baby, because that new life is exciting. The same thing is true when we encounter Christ and we have this new birth in us. The natural thing is to not be ashamed, but to be excited. And so there's a witness that comes out of that. With, well, that, be- with that being said, and I think we've talked about this before, that doesn't necessarily mean that uh, you're going to have this big, you know, huge moment that, you know, the, the light shines shining down upon you and a choir singing and whatever, and this huge, you know, well, overwhelming thing. Um, yeah. And I think we've had that a lot of times, haven't we? we yeah. But get really concerned because, well, I didn't have some sweeping rush of emotion. Right. And, and I would contend that, a believer will, at various points, have such a thing, but that isn't necessarily what happens in the new birth. And even when it does, it doesn't necessarily constitute the new birth. Right. So 
they're going to be very excited about a lot of things. In fact, just to kind of um, stick with the birth uh, analogy, when when uh, and you probably went through something similar when you had your son, but uh, especially with our our first child, um, when Ricky was uh, about to be born, we had a few times when we thought Shelly was going into labor, right? And so right. False labor pains and. And all of a sudden, grab the bag, let's go, you know, we're getting all fired up. Not quite like on the sitcoms, but not too far from it. I was a young man, pretty fired up about it. it and the emotion starts to come up, but no baby. Right. And that happens a lot of times as well, where church services or worship music, or we get uh, convicted by a particular passage, that, that in itself is not salvation. That doesn't mean we've been reborn, but it may mean that we're on the verge. It may mean that we're close, or it may just be that, Man, that was a really cool song, and I got really emotional about it. That that whole idea of emotion uh, is not the foundation of our salvation. It's not the foundation of, of anything. Emotions can't be. That's the foundation of sand. So our our real foundation need to be uh, need to be something more solid. Whatever it is, we're building a house, we're building a life, uh, if we're building a faith in Christ. It needs to be more steady than emotion, which shifts back and forth all the time. Right. So I can be super excited about Jesus on Sunday morning, and by Sunday afternoon, I'm caught up in sin again. Right. So that idea is not the same kind of a thing. But there is an excitement when our mind changes. It may not be you know, you know overwhelmed with tears or, or anything like that. In fact, I would contend, and, and this is purely anecdotal, just my observation that more often than not, it isn't that. It, a lot of times when we have those big emotional things that go on, as much as anything, that can be a distraction. It can cause us to think that it's something that it isn't. Sure, uh, yeah. And, and so anyway, as the Holy Spirit changes our identity, that's something he does within us that leads to changing emotions. Some folks are more given to... Um, an ecstatic, uh, overwhelming type of a, an emotional situation. And for others, it's more of a quiet change of affection. I no longer love the world. Now I love Jesus. I, right. I see Christ as most precious. And that's really at the heart of it. I think every, uh, however we express it, however we word it or, or show it, every believer, to be a believer, having been changed by the Holy Spirit, whether or not you, you get all mushy and stuff, there is a change of mind. There's a repentance that takes place. There's, uh, I, I no longer choose my way. I'm not walking according to the flesh or governed by the flesh any longer. I'm now governed by the Spirit who has come into me and now lives in me. Therefore, as a Christ follower, as a, a believer, a born-again person, I now cherish Christ above everything. And no matter what else is going on in my life, doesn't mean I don't have moments of, of unfaithfulness. My goodness, we're going to have lots of times of unfaithfulness. That's why the Lord gives us the majority of the scripture looking at Israel's unfaithfulness, the unfaithfulness of, of even the great Bible heroes. That's why we have the, right. the entire book of Hosea is, de is dedicated to that, to show us that we are unfaithful, yet God remains faithful. Well, even much of much of the Old Testament, uh, 
my mom is, is reading through the Old Testament right now. And she'll, you know, she'll talk to me about certain things she's reading. And I think she's mentioned a few things to you as well. But just saying, you know, God's chosen people uh, turn, turn away from him again and again and again. And, and do their own thing again and again and again. Absolutely. And, uh, you know. <laughs> and that's not to celebrate it. That's just to point right, out the reality. Right. right. We're up to us, if, if we're up to Israel to keep the covenant with God, right. they would have been rejected long before they were. And, and even now, God's still keeping his promises to Israel through the church and through the Messiah. Not that we are Israel, but but we are God's people and we are a grafted in branch. So as we're, as we're seeing how all this works, if it were possible, if it were possible for us to lose our salvation by our unfaithfulness, every single one of us absolutely would. Right. Again, a, a thousand times over, a thousand, thousand times a day. <laughs> without any question. So the, the beauty of it is our salvation comes from the Holy Spirit. It's sustained by the Holy Spirit. Our maturity is developed by the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. but but it's not just an individual personal thing. And, and I think that's one of the flaws in the contemporary churches. We have so often in the last, I'm sure much more than this, but I'll say the last 50 years, uh, because I've seen this become a very prominent theme in my lifetime. We have gotten so focused on me and Jesus got our own thing going. You know, I can love the Lord, but I don't need other Christians. Uh, you know, I... I'm a Christian, but I don't go to church, all that kind of stuff. Right. That is opposite of anything that we see in Scripture. There's absolutely zero support for that at all. From the beginning, from Genesis through Revelation, God deals with his people both individually and corporately. So we went through times in our history when people were added to the church on the rolls, on the roster, and then therefore it was assumed because the church gave approval to them or the, the priest uh, baptized them when they were little or, or, or went through whatever ceremonies along the way. As long as you were baptized at some point, which is the initiating rite of the church, that's the, the ceremony, uh, kind of the swearing in or the, uh, the wedding ceremony of joining the church. You are now publicly affiliated with Christ and his body. But because uh, we, we got things kind of twisted the other direction throughout much of the church's history, we kind of just assumed that the ritual in itself was the act, that it was efficacious just in the baptism or in the association with the church. But it's more than that. God deals with his people both individually and corporately. And again, standing on the shoulders of the Old Testament, as we see how Israel was handled, uh, how, how God dealt with them, his covenant was not with individuals primarily there were some but but generally speaking his covenant was with the nation with the people as people of god not as uh not as a a bunch of little individual people however that covenant with the people only applies when the individual only applied to the individual when the individual participated in that which was covenanted with the nation in the same way, for us as Christ followers, we can't partake in Christ individually without partaking in his body, the church. If, if, if he created us to be one, he is creating a community. And Jesus himself said, you know, on, on this rock of truth that, uh, as Peter declared him to be Messiah, 
on this rock, I will build my church. Point is, Jesus is going to build his church. The church is important to him. It's his church. He's doing the work. And he sends the Holy Spirit so that we would make disciples, that, that we would add to the number. We see in the book of Acts that as they did the things they were called to do, the Holy Spirit added to their number daily those who were being saved. Mm -hmm. That means there is a number. There's a community. Again, in Israel, the community was significant, and yet God still required individuals to practice holiness. It wasn't like you get a pass because you're part of Israel, and it wasn't like you know you can ignore Israel because you're personally going to do your own sacrifice. He doesn't tolerate that. In fact, both of those extremes are explicitly condemned, and the prophets go to great lengths to, to shut such things down. Why in the world we think today we can bring those errors back in as the church, that, that's foolishness. So the Holy Spirit creates our community by building our unity. Uh, we looked at Ephesians 4, uh, especially the first six verses, but, but the whole chapter of, of Ephesians 4 really builds on this. Uh, as the Holy Spirit brings about this fellowship in us and, uh, and, and grows us together so that the church becomes one. And the church becomes one as we deepen our understanding of the teachings. Uh, in fact, the, the last point we looked at under developing our maturity is that he guides our doctrine. Well, doctrine is crucial. If we all just believe whatever we want to believe, you know, and, and uh, we, you know, I love Jesus but I don't really like that part. So the God I believe in operates this way. Then we're no better than they were in the book of Judges where, where the entire nation was condemned by the Lord because each one did what was right in their own eyes. Right. They didn't follow the, the commands of God. They didn't follow the judges that God had put in charge. Uh, and when uh, some of these judges led them in the wrong direction, they, they didn't lead according to the Spirit's guiding, according to the law that was given. So the unity comes as we grow closer together in our knowledge of the word, our knowledge of the faith, and in our relational knowledge of Jesus Christ. So our developing maturity causes us to increasingly uh, reflect the reality of Christ, to, to, to re reflect him in, a, in an increasingly accurate way. And that then draws us together if you can imagine like a, a, a pyramid and we're all far apart at the base of that pyramid and Christ is at the point and the closer we get to Christ, the closer we get to one another, very much uh, like like what I would tell somebody in marriage counseling. As we grow in our connection to Christ, then that draws us together. We're getting closer to that point. And then through that, we see in Ephesians 4 and then more specifically in 1 Corinthians 12 and and uh, it's alluded to in uh, Romans 12, too, but not quite as explicitly as it focuses on unity and behavior. But we see that the Holy Spirit gives different jobs, different assignments, different skills, uh, different abilities to individuals to contribute to the common good within the church. In other words, he equips our work. And uh, an Old Testament picture of that is in Exodus 31, as God was describing and, and commanding uh, very specific requirements in the building of the tabernacle. And the tabernacle was the, the predecessor of the temple. That's where God uh, would make himself manifest. He would, uh, as he is omnipresent throughout the scripture, throughout our reality, uh, throughout all time, we see that, uh, that 
we focus in a lot in, in the Bible on the manifest presence, not just the, the overall general omnipresence of God, but when he actually shows up. Uh, as they are led out of Egypt, he is in, in the pillar of fire, in the pillar of cloud, and, and he manifests himself in the most holy place in the tabernacle as a, as a smoke or a cloud, as he meets with Moses and meets later with the, the high priest. But in doing that, his specific assignments required specific skills. And it says in Exodus 31 that he called out certain people for certain jobs and filled them with wisdom and with the Spirit, in other words, to be able to do those jobs. Right. So the Spirit equipped their work then, just as he does now. And in 1 Corinthians 12, uh, Paul's focusing heavily on the unity of the church. We get, I think, too bogged down in, in the specifics of various gifts. When we start having checklists, Paul's not giving us checklists. What he's giving us is a picture of a body with lots of different body parts, all the different organs of our body working together for a common cause. And that's the picture that he gives us in 1 Corinthians 12. As the Spirit builds our unity, he also equips our work. There's a mission, and we have to be on the same page. We have to be not all doing the same things, not even doing them the same way, but but all working toward the same end, the kingdom agenda, as Dr. Tony Evans calls I, it, I, uh, which I find, highly recommend Tony Evans' book. Sometimes. I find that particular, uh, uh, I guess that particular point that you, you brought out on Sunday um, to be especially interesting and uh, probably, at least to me, one of the clearest pictures of exactly why the church body is so important, because uh, I mean, as much as I hate group projects, <laughs> um, I cannot do so many things that other people can do, and and somebody else might you know, not be able to do something I can do or, you know, so if you do anything in life, a a major project, uh, you're going to need others with certain skills, certain strengths, certain whatever to allow it to reach completion. You can't build a house from scratch by yourself. I mean, you're going to need an electrician and a contractor and someone who knows wood and someone who has a roofer. And, uh, That really, that picture. That illustration, a lot of those people can do the same thing. Right. But you can't all do things at the same time or only part of the job's getting done. Right. So in specializing, there are different nuances that come up. Come up. Like, for example, in our communications team, uh, you and Aaron both handle social media. And both of you can do uh, different sure. things, but it's necessary for you to do separate things, different things, supporting one another, backing one another up. But you, you each bring your own unique set of skills or your unique personality to it. So that, that makes it and different. When we look at, at the, even the, the preaching, there are so many preachers that, that can bring the word accurately, but we all do it differently. We have different personalities and different tastes, different singers with different voices. All are necessary. And not only that, but then you, you when you're not trying to, complete everything on your own and you are backing each other up and recognizing that this person might be able to do this a little better or I'm just too overwhelmed and I need some help with this person who can do this that allows us I think to 
give our best in the things that we are doing because we're not trying to multitask with a hundred different things. We're allow we're we're allowing ourselves to focus on you know our direct skills, our direct tasks, and and giving our best uh, into those particular things. And when it comes to uh, building the church and building the kingdom, I think I find that to be important to give God every my best. I know it's you know. It's, it's all I have, but it's, I'd rather, you know, do that than try to just kind of uh, give him 50% of, you know, a couple things, you know? Yeah. And, and you know, as you, as we're talking about this, I kind of wish that I had um, had the foresight to develop this a little bit more, but there's a humbling that goes along sure, with that. Sure. Not only that, that we can't do it all. And that by itself is humbling. I mean, the reality is it takes all the people of God to do all the work of God. We can't, you know, nobody can just step in and, and get it all done. Right. Um, and you're talking, and you're talking and, that to somebody who, again, hates group projects and wants to be the one to get it all done. But I, I recognize right. that I can't, you know, <clears throat> and that, and, and not only that we can't, but that we should. Right. And that's the reason, you know, teachers and professors assign those group projects is to teach us the dynamic of working in groups. It seldom actually happens that way. Uh, but, but in the church, that's part of the, part of the goal that the Holy Spirit has for us, if I can call it a goal, is that he carries out God's purpose, not only through the church. It's not just that there's work to be done and the Holy Spirit does that work through the church, but he carries out the glorification of God and God's purposes in, in the world today, actually in us. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's in the working together that God is glorified. It's God is less glorified when one person is doing all this right. stuff than when one person steps back and and invites and allows sure, others sure. to right, come right, into right. this and step forward to do that which they would not on their own really want to do, that they would uh, perhaps not feel qualified to do, but in recognizing that there is a greater cause, so I'm going to work for that cause, the, it's the uh, the connectedness that comes through that, the unity that comes through the word as we're united in the gospel and we offer our united gospel work as an act of worship, like serving in the temple to the Lord who manifests himself in his church. And again, the church is that picture of the temple and temple language is used fairly often in the New Testament to, to draw that out. God manifests himself in and through us. And so when we operate as the church, as one body, committed and passionate about Christ as his bride, united as a family, built together as living stones in one building, and we recognize that we don't belong to ourselves, but we belong to one another as an extension of primarily belonging to Christ, who is our head. That's when the church is fully living out the, the purposes that God has for us in the world. Well, we are a little bit over our time here, so I guess we will stop there for today. Uh, but we will uh, keep up with this format as, as long as needed, just like we said at the beginning, just to keep uh, staying connected with you guys. Uh, this is a great time to uh, get involved and ask questions and, and join the commentary and you know, send us questions on Facebook or, or send us an email or now that we're streaming on uh, different platforms, feel free to, you know, join the conversation in, in any way. 
uh, I think it's important for us to, to continue these conversations, uh, especially, you know, when I think everybody's feeling a little bit disconnected right now. Amen. So we will, we okay. will, uh, Gar- go ahead. Sorry. I uh, just pointing out, it looks like it's going to go on for at least a little while. So we're not uh, going to have our public gatherings uh, at church for our Easter service. Right. Um, that's the case with a lot of folks. I just heard about a pastor in Florida who was arrested because he refused to comply and held services and bust people in for the services. And uh, listen, folks, this is not a matter of uh, us giving up our uh, right to assembly or or to the free expression of or exercise of religion um, for a long-term basis, but on a limited short-term basis in a general application to everyone, not, not just to Christian churches. There's no persecution involved here. It's a matter of trying to save lives and love our neighbors. We are called to submit to the governing authorities uh, when they are not uh, when they're operating within the parameters of what God has given them. So let's uh, let's be wise and be loving and stay home, stay safe. And we will continue to keep you guys as updated as possible. We are planning, just because our, our, our physical gathering for for the time being, and especially on Easter, is uh, not happening. That doesn't mean Easter is not happening. <laughs> and uh, we will, we're, we're talking about, you know, how to go about that. <laughs> So uh, we'll keep everybody posted, but thank you guys for listening and we will catch you on Thursday. Thanks for, thanks for uh, connecting here, Rich. All right. Thank All right. You bye-bye. Calling.